I'm not going to say that. Lastly. Live from the Mendangerous Query Sack in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 173 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're digging into our turkeys and tofurkeys and answering your questions with our mouths full. But first the rogue traders lick their wounds in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign, and later Friar Tuck gets pious drunk in the Character Creation Forge. So today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. I we think did for it. the first time. We did it. <laughs> it's the big money. We finally got to Audible sized. <laughs> I guess you can get a free audiobook download and 30 days worth of a free trial at audibletrial.com slash DSPN. Look at that. Yeah. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Uh, you know how some people listen to music when they're at the gym? Yes. Um, for many years, I just listened to Harry Potter audiobooks. That uh, is the nerdiest yeah. gym thing I've Jim, ever heard. Jim Dale, not Stephen Fry, okay? <laughs> at me. Uh, one of the audiobooks that you can actually get on uh, on Audible is Life Flourishes Fantastic Locations uh, by DSPN's Mike Shea and read aloud for all to hear by DSPN's Rudy Basso. You know, he has a sultry voice. Uh, he, <laughs> I, I like to fall asleep to Rudy Basso. Yeah, that's a great endorsement. I sleep to this. Yeah, it's, I fall asleep to it gently. Like it's <laughs> cradling my ears. It's more like Rudy Beso, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Uh, there's also a lot of, uh, one of my favorite audiobooks to read or to listen to are books by comedians um, because they typically read them themselves and it's just like listening to a couple hours of stand-up. Right, because they're broke. <laughs> we right. can't afford anyone can't to afford read to this. <laughs> Um, the Tina Fey Bossy Pants is still one of my favorite audiobooks. Oh, she could afford someone, but I'm glad she read it herself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Shane, um, regular listeners may know that occasionally you play a little kitty cat. Uh-huh. My my kitty cat adventures are continuing. There's a new episode that dropped this week on Tales from Mox Ferry. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is... Uh, uh, Tales from Mox Ferry is an actual play podcast playing Blades in the Dark in a custom... Uh, like a homebrew fantasy town. Um, after they concluded an evil campaign, they went back to Mox Ferry and started the crew, the Night Snails, who are just trying to get by uh, in the criminal underworld of, of their town. Slowly mm-hmm. and in the dark. Yep. Yeah. And I play the uh, cat, former wizard familiar, Whispers, um, who is leading them into a dwarven stronghold in order to rob their vault blind. Oh, you're an evil kitty cat. I'm a wonderful kitty cat. Mm-hmm. In the last episode, I put somebody to sleep. <sighs> Look, you are a normal cat. Did you know that feral cats kill 4 billion songbirds in the United States alone each year? I made somebody take a cat nap. Oh, yes. <laughs> wow, you're a high-level wizard. You have third-level spells. I am a... <laughs> you're a bard. You're I am bard. a wizard familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Still. <laughs> that was my like equivalent of a third-level spell, though. I got one of those. That's lovely. <laughs> All right, so Shane, speaking of not living up to your potential, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And with Arch Militant Draco's funeral rites passed, the Rogue Traders turn inward 
to the tolls the Verza House expedition has taken on their own souls. Yes, uh, this is a group that never pays attention to themselves and is always selflessly working for others. Uh huh. <laughs> so, um, you know, as you know, the ancient fortress was quite psychically active mm-hmm. and full of corrupting Zinch energy. Mm-hmm. So that lingering corruption has kind of left all of you a little bit worse for wear, and, and especially your sweet baby Echo. Wait, really? Really? We uh, we cleansed it of uh, all the horrible taint, and so therefore uh, we must be rewarded by the emperor, right? Cleansed it is one way to put it. Uh, absorbed it is another way to put it. But yeah, we cleansed it by eating it. Well, you left it better than you found we it. We licked it clean of warp taint. You didn't even cleanse it, actually. You just <laughs> ran away. That's true. It's still there. <laughs> but on a dead world. Right. <laughs> a still dead world. Oh, Poor Echo. Why? Uh, why did she get the brunt of it? Uh, just random luck. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. Mm. Um, the way this system works is when you when you hit that corruption track, it, you just roll for what the um what the malignancy is. And boy, did you all get to roll? Almost all of us. Well, yeah, everybody except Draco. Oh, and Trank. Trank doesn't roll. Oh, well, true. <laughs> we'll we'll get to that. All right, so we all got a malignancy. Which is what? Not quite as bad as a mutation, but it is a stain on the soul. It is, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will be accounted for when you finally meet the Emperor. Oh, yeah. He'll, you know, he'll brush it off and be like, that's fine. So Seneschal Trix um, found that he had become dark hearted as his Dark Eldar Clave perhaps exerts its fell influence, uh, magnified by the Verza House. Doc. Should consider himself lucky that he got away with only getting a witch mark, uh, which appeared on his flesh in the form of ritual scars of strange equations. Yes, he Skyance, I believe. He secretly worships the dark god Skyance. <laughs> Trank uh, has a divination that allows him to pick his own malignancy. Uh, they're all bad, so like, there's no good option. Yeah, it's built right into the name malignancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he chose Ashen Taste. Food no longer offers much appeal or sustenance. Yeah, especially after uh, the hard times. <laughs> <laughs> um, Echo, sweet, innocent baby Echo. Oh, man. She's gotten a taste of violent excess, and she liked it. Uh, she now suffers from bloodlust. And Flair. <laughs> Our astropath Flair, already subject to the uh, horrifying, scouring, corrupting influence of the warp on the daily, now has blackouts. Because of course he does. <laughs> <laughs> Are those the GM controls which you do kind of blackouts? Uh, yes. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> the GM has never needed to exercise that right. <laughs> Angelo does enough stuff on his own. Right. Um, hey. Uh, I think I should uh, use psychic powers in here. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> I only told you not to. <laughs> it's only 50% of the rules. That's the one thing he can't black out. The only thing he remembers. All right, no spoilers, no spoilers. We'll okay, get well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, However, that's not all that happened. No. Um. So the next step up from a malignancy is a mutation. Mutation! And mutations... They're not all bad, Ishan. They're not all bad. Okay. They are all bad. They are not all mechanically negative. <laughs> right. Sometimes they give you superpowers, even if you will end up, of course, being consumed by chaos. So Doc got a mutation. He did. And what mutation did he randomly roll on the table? He randomly rolled, and 
I cannot believe I'm saying this. He randomly rolled, it will not die. Uh, Skyence, or whatever dark deity he worships, uh, granted him the ability to never actually die. Uh, which, considering he's already twice cheated death, most of the, pr- the crew probably won't even notice that this is happening. But if he were to, by some happenstance, uh, take lethal damage, instead of like burning fade or or anything like that he just takes corruption instead and eventually like when you get to the end of the corruption track you are consumed uh, by the warp and become a an entity of the warp of some type now doc assumes that he will become uh, like a demon prince or something real glorified and of course he will become something menial and subservient but we can sort that out later (laughs) like that fate that die has yet to be cast um, but basically, Doc is a big warpy monster now and forever. So what you're telling me is that Cameron, who plays Doc, the character that we all above the table know is going to betray the party mm-hmm. someday, yes, now has the means to do that uh-huh, and probably destroy the entire party. Indeed. That's wonderful. And also, he wrote this. In the open at a table full of five people. <laughs> this is the most 40K thing I've ever heard. Exactly. Like, sometimes the truth is better than fiction. <laughs> so, with their uh, with their various scars and, and damages sort of accounted for, the rogue traders begin to look through a stack of data slates that... Uh, uh, Lord Captain Roth was kind enough to leave them with, uh, you know, a data dump, if you will, on their newfound colony, which they hope to tame and exploit in record time. We're bringing the light of the Emperor. We are certainly not exploiting anything or anyone. It's probably not even inhabited. Probably. And we'll find out what happens next. Next week. So this week, while... Judging from the reviews, 80% of you are chowing down on turkeys. We're answering your mailbag questions. Shane, will you do the honors? I will. Will you rummage through the query sack, which we're calling it from now on? The query sack is open, and in it comes a two-part question from longtime listener Snark Knight. Hey, buddy. Ishan, in Morning Glory, did you expect anyone to take Bell Shalor up on their offer? Oh, this is an excellent question. Shane, I believe you uh, had some thoughts about this first. I, I did immediately respond to Snark Knight because he sent this in actually just like <laughs> a few hours too late to make our last, last mailbag. mailbag, which yeah. was 17 weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> so I didn't want to just kind of leave that one hanging. Um, but why don't we kind of take a step back and remind everybody who maybe hasn't listened to the first 76 oh, right. episodes uh, what the hell he's talking about <laughs> well spoiler alert at the end of the morning glory campaign uh which i believe is detailed in uh episode 73 um the fiendish overlord bell shalor the shadow in the flame has confronted the party they're all standing at the pinnacle of creation and bell shalor makes them an offer one that they know is true and he says i'm going to divide up the entire multiverse everything everyone that ever was is and shall be into 10 parts and to each of you say the six of you i will give a tenth a tenth of everything to do with as you will forever and i will keep 40 percent. i will keep four tenths to do whatever i will 
and we go our separate ways and never see each other or you never see me again i will never bother you um i will never renege on this deal you will be as gods and i thought there's an uh there's an excellent chance some people would take him up on this offer it's a good offer right it's a good offer i mean it's a good offer in aggregate if you're also willing to sacrifice 40 percent of the universe to save 60 percent well, maybe to save fifty percent, because you know what Bastion was going to do with his ten yeah, exactly. percent. <laughs> exactly. That's the problem. It's like you, you kind of look around at what <laughs> what the odds are here. They start to chip away pretty quick. <laughs> All right. So, so what did what did you think? So, I and I think you've said this before, but I know that you expected Bastion to join Belshazzar from day one and take yeah. the offer <laughs> from like the day Cameron was like, "I want to be a warforged who hates people." Yeah. Uh, and then I think. You also thought that I would take the offer because everybody still insists that Brand is evil, uh, even though he is not. Um, but like, you thought that I would take the greater good path and the the possibility of like fixing it for some people, um, and that I would actually accept the offer as well. And then, had two of us actually taken the offer, you had said that um, you thought that it was unlikely the rest of the characters could win the fight. Uh, almost, almost. Yes, it's close. Uh, so, wait, so were you close to accepting the offer at any point? Not for a second, no. Really? I mean, Belshalor is the sworn enemy of the Silver Flame. Like, ah, it was personal. No, 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 it wasn't personal. It was just like, it just couldn't happen, right? I mean, like, you can't be a paladin of the Silver Flame. Or, I mean, a... a priest of the silver flame and then still like even entertain that offer right see ah so now we have finally landed on brand's true alignment which is lawful greater good and not lawful greatest good (laughs) (laughs) you could have saved on average more than half of everything so (laughs) no i could have said uh uh, take it on faith on the other four people right which is already a stretch actually mm, yeah i mean emery you can trust obviously maybe but everyone else emery still wants to resurrect and redeem bastion yeah so can i trust her no (laughs) all right so calic who had a personal vendetta against me for killing his wife or daughter whatever maybe both (laughs) same difference (laughs) Uh, so yeah, I I was very sure that Bastion would take Belshazzar up on the offer. Um, I Emery I knew would not right because she like hated fiends like from the get go because like her family sold her soul to fiends like it was her her reason for being was hating fiends so like she was definitely not going to. Um, but everyone else uh, actually and Calic definitely would not right because he had this sword and it was dead his dead wife's sword and it was judging him and like there's no way that he was gonna like do anything even mildly like a tiny bit not 100% good in front of this sword uh, I thought Brand might do the math um, uh, and I thought Lou might be crazy in the right way to- yeah I, I actually from my perspective i thought lou was the most likely to take the deal yeah to be like yeah because belshazzar was like yeah i mean you can be cthulhu again like he used to be right yeah. yeah that was the only that was the only person on our side of the fence that i thought might take the deal and i think i don't know angelo at us uh, i think bahar i think later angelo was like i mean if enough people had gone over then i think bahar would have chosen the winning side he would have just gone swing vote yeah which I could see because he was always the most practical one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, the 
part where you've got it a little bit off is if two people had gone over, you wouldn't necessarily have lost. The way that I had sort of set it up was um, I had created templates for like you guys as champions of Belshalor and as like champions of cube, right? Because cube right. need to step in at some point here. So basically I was like, all right, the most likely scenario is it's just Bastion. So I'm gonna make a Bastion template where like what kind of bonuses does he get where he is the only champion of Belshalor. And my reasoning was like, Belshalor is doesn't have an unlimited amount of power, right? So he has an amount of energy he can uh, like grant to the people who side with him. So if there's one, then like this is the template. If there are two, then like each of them gets a template, but it's a little bit more watered down. Like it's not quite as powerful. Uh, I don't think I actually statted out three because I think I thought the chances were just very low that that was going to happen. Uh, but you would have gotten like a slightly less powerful Bastion and a slightly less powerful whomever else. Uh, but I still think it would have been a more difficult battle than the one that you did actually fight. <laughs> Which, if we recall, required a wish. <laughs> I think a couple wishes. I think Emery threw out a wish too. <laughs> it, it, it required a divine intervention and yeah, a wish. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Stacked. Stacked on top of each yeah. other. It was like like a club sandwich. It was a, a Hail Mary, if you will. <laughs> now, part two of the question, Stark Knight adds, Shane, on the piloting sections on the storm on Gonsolgrim, or in landing on the dead world of Malajact, what was the worst that you were expecting to inflict on the party for failure? Now, this is our Rogue Trader game. Yeah, so in Rogue Trader on Gonsolgrim, um, you were recovering a um, a drop pod mm -hmm. that had fallen off course, and in Malajact, you had to navigate through the glass storms that make up the upper atmosphere and make it you know, a, a dead world that's inaccessible. Those were all terrible. Every uh, All of that was terrible. Yeah, and they were like you know, team uh, piloting checks to, to get through all that. Right. It was like skill challenges, kind of, sort of. Right. Um, so the worst I was expecting to inflict was a TPK. Like, yes, I, we all die. I would have had no <laughs> trouble with you guys just uh, crash landing and dying. Um, and the reason for that is specifically in Dark Heresy um, and Rogue Trader anyway, um, you have fate points to burn for those situations. So like the outcome of crash landing on Malajact would have been the terribly embarrassing fact that you had crash landed in front of the Inquisitor and your rival rogue trader who then sifted through your wreckage, picked you up, nursed you back to health, and then awaited you to like recover, right? You would have had to deal with that, um, which would have been way worse than death. <laughs> oh yeah, story consequences far, far right. worse. I mean, that's sometimes why like, you know, Jim could have burned a fate point so that Draco didn't die, but he was like, I don't let Draco lie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to. I don't want to have to deal with the fact that I will now have a reconstructed metal face forever. Right. Like there's still consequences for burning a fate point. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, also, I think the, the second worst uh, impact of that would have been you would have lost the gun cutter, the hostile negotiator, which is your favorite toy. Yeah. Oh, my God. That would have been awful. And then, of course, knowing us, we would become like um, – fixated on getting it back or getting a better one or stealing another one from right. Roth or yeah. making Roth crash in front of his Inquisitor. Right. You would have ended up on the run from the Inquisition and Roth. That would have been the way that dark ended. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and it still would have been our fault. <laughs> um, as far as Gontelgrim is concerned with the storm, so um, same thing. I mean, you could have crash landed and, and had to figure out a way to 
make contact um, with somebody who could send you help, right? Um, or if you recall, you kind of had the option of going over land or going over sea into a storm. And had you crashed at sea, um, I was kind of hoping to do like a lost at sea arc where you guys were clinging to the wreckage of the gun cutter um, as you drifted further and further out and then had to kind of, you know, have your own little mini pirate adventure eating armsmen and yeah (laughs) well and armsmen (laughs) all right snark knight thanks for that question and for listening and continuing to listen i'm always surprised when people are longtime listeners next question is from nathan just working through your back catalog i'm a first-time player and wannabe gm anyway i'm playing a lore bard in my campaign and coming up on level six so i'm fretting about magical secrets I think I can't go wrong with Revivify and Counterspell. You are correct. Uh, but I almost swerved off the road when I listened to your character creation forge of the Poacher. I'm very excited about the possibility of retraining these magical secret spells. I had always assumed that if you gave up one of those, then it would need to be replaced with a spell from the Bard spell list. Counterspell is great, but we're playing Storm King's Thunder, and I'm just not sure how many casters we're going to run into. So, uh, were we wrong, Shane? Uh, nobody knows. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like we took the more liberal interpretation, which is the harmless one of whatever treat magical secrets as any other spell that you can retrain as a magical secret. Cause what a pain to keep track of, of like where you got source. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. exactly. Um, so yeah, maybe in the strictest possible reading, you can make the argument that no, you can't do that. Um, I will fight to the, <laughs> I don't care that much. Uh, I would strongly recommend ignoring that and just treating it like any other retraining opportunity. You would fight to the mild discomfort. I would fight to the internet. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Yeah, you do enjoy doing that. You I are really don't. Quite pugnacious on the internet. I am really not. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually dug in to try to find an actual real answer here, and I think I have seen both from Jeremy Crawford that uh, raw, it needs to be a bard spell, and also from Jeremy Crawford, uh, but I would let them do whatever. Yeah, the classic Jeremy Crawford answer. Right. Whatever, man. Yeah. Um, you may have some trouble if you're at an Adventurers League table. Uh, home GMs, it, there's there's no problem with it. It's totally fine. Uh, but well, I don't you're know, not going to retrain mid-session anyway, so what's the difference? Yeah. Yeah. Let people have the spells that are most fun. You know, it's going to be the same level anyway. All right, Nathan, I guess we apologize. Shane apologizes. I'm sorry. Good, good Sort of. All right, there's another part to Nathan's question. Yeah, he asks, do you have any advice for when I decide to get my GM feet wet? I purchased a few one-shots from the DMs Guild and was planning to run through at least two one-shots before attempting a campaign. I'm on the fence about whether I should go for a published adventure or homebrew. I lean towards published just because I'm so inexperienced. So does by homebrew does Nathan mean making it up on his own like, or like writing mean, his own adventure? Okay, I think. yeah. I mean, I think we both agree. Go with published to start off. Yeah, like, there's no reason not to. I I, I would recommend that as well. Yeah, uh, I will say when you're going through a published adventure, sometimes people who haven't run games before sort of look at it and go, "Oh my god, this is like 52 pages of stuff, and like there's so many DCs, and like you do not need to write that much or put that much together when you run on your own." No, just you, keep that in mind. You should. <laughs> I, I I have been reading DMs Guild and like Adventures League stuff because I've been following the Eberron Adventures League mm-hmm. modules. Um, and so one of the things that I really like is there's a synopsis at the at the top of every like 
um, not act, but like a scene basically of the adventure. Right. And, and some of them have like a little map of like the scenes in order. Um, they give you a little synopsis of what they expect to happen and who is in this like scene and like what the purpose is. That's the type of planning you want to do. And then make sure that you have all the like, you know, if there's a, encounters or fights or whatever, you have all that stuff planned out so you know what you're throwing at your opponents. But otherwise, like, give them flexibility and go from there. Yeah, like all of the minutia of like making a ruling on the fly or remembering like what rule applies to what or like the flow at the table and tracking initiative, all that kind of stuff, that'll come from actually doing it and, you know, being at the table with people who played or learning together with people who haven't played. Um, you're right. Like you're getting your feet wet, like just jump in and try it. You're going to do some stuff that like is amazing without even trying. And you're going to try so hard at some stuff and you're going to be terrible at it. Like, I think we've had a few stories on here, but we've had, we've done some terrible, terrible things. Mm -hmm. Um, many, many years ago, I had a summer job where I was a door to door salesman. Were you selling vacuum cleaners? Uh, no, I am not strong enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was selling cards. <laughs> Not even Dustbusters. No, no, no. Uh -uh. <laughs> Canister Vax. No, whatever. Uh, I was selling cards that gave uh, discounts on oil changes. Oh. Mm -hmm. I did not need to perform these oil changes because I also don't know how to do that. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> I'm also not handy. Uh, also, filters are extremely heavy. Uh, <laughs> Paper and plastic. Oh, but the box. The box, yeah, like, you know. Like, uh, yeah, you know. Fram. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> what am I doing here? <laughs> But so the very first day, uh, they gave us zero training and they just said, uh, here's your cards. Um, here's the path you're going to walk. Just like go knock on doors and try to sell these things. And I sold three, um, which was a lot. Um, and then they started training us and they were like, you know, if you were able to do that with zero training, you're going to be able to do a lot more when you have training. They were wrong right. because it was all beginner's luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> However, I think GMing is kind of the same thing. Like you're going to have so many successes just like getting in there and doing it. Um, and then you're going to have a lot of frustrations later. And ideally the successes outweigh the frustrations and, you know, eventually you sort of find your own groove to it. And every time you come to a new situation where you're like, man, I should do that differently. Ideally, next time you do it differently, you'll be fine. Yeah. And I mean, like, I still have sessions that I run where I'm like, oh, I wish I had done this differently. Yeah. Most of you, most of your sessions. Yeah. Like, you know, the moment we walk out the door, I'm like, oh, I could have done that so much better had I just had a moment to think. Uh, right. I should have said no at that point rather yeah. than spending 45 minutes on yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that some of that stuff just never goes away. You just get more comfortable with living with it. <laughs> yeah. That actually reminds me. Do you remember that session um, in Morning Glory when you guys are like, hey, we're going to kill uh, Nishram Shadar uh -huh. and you attack him. Uh -huh. And then he's like, ah, fine, I'm going to kill all of you. Uh, that took a while because there were like six of you and I remember there's one point where um, Emery was like I, I dimension door away in a random direction because I don't know where we are and the dimension door is like if you try to teleport somewhere where there's no space like it fails and you take damage Right. and I, and I was like I don't know what's over there like, I didn't map out this city uh, I guess I'll roll a die no I should have just been like uh, you take damage and don't teleport right because it was like another half hour of him chasing her and uh, Lou through, through a library yeah, exactly. yeah and I was just like and I was in the middle of the library being like what am I doing 
<laughs> yeah, you should have let her get away <laughs> or not let her escape. Yes, that like, is 100% what I should have done. The middle ground is just the worst. And I still sometimes lay awake at night. That, no, I don't actually. I don't actually do that. <laughs> because of the bourbon. <laughs> so welcome to the club. We're very excited to have you. All right. Our next question comes from Twitter from Sally T. Hey, TPT cast, can you or one of your very smart listeners recommend a fun one shot for a party of any level between one and five? Thank you in advance. Extreme Evil Sense Carne voice. I do love hearing from you. Oh, look at that. Look, Shane did me. I did you. That's that's lovely. That's nice. I mean, you know, it was lousy, of course. You want to you want a little more gravitas? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I'm very strong. Okay, uh, well, first off, listeners, if you want to at Sally T with recommendations for one-shots for a party between levels one and five, go ahead and do that, because like that's what she asked for. Um, I have heard good things about a wild sheep chase. Um, mm-hmm. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, I believe that's a free adventure where you're like gallivanting around trying to help a sheep that is actually a polymorph wizard or wizard's apprentice or something like that. Uh, figure out how to get themselves not sheepified. Um, and I have also heard good things about Adamantium Chef or Adamantium Chef. Oh, I've heard good things too. Yeah, uh, yeah. By Teos Abadia. Um, that was one of the first adventures on the DMs Guild. I know it's like one of the longtime bestsellers, but it's a you know a wacky, quirky thing where you've got to win a cooking competition. Um, so it's a little bit different from your normal D anD. Yeah. Um. I think you can't go wrong with like these wacky things, especially like if. Like Nathan was saying, you're getting your feet wet. Um, it's already kind of loose. It's already kind of like people are, are here to just have fun and like make references mm-hmm. and like a, an in-joker here and there. Um, so you're less focused on like, oh, I got a 14 and I needed a 15 and now the troll's going to eat us. Yeah. You can also, I mean, it is relatively easy, you know, if you've been doing this for a little while to just sort of come up with something. Like if you just need a one shot between levels one and five, like, you know, in media res we are caravan guards and the caravan gets attacked lots of cool things that can happen there um yeah actually i think you can do like on that note if you want to publish adventure the first like act basically of the um starter box is pretty good for that Mm. like you start as a as caravan guards you you get ambushed on the road you follow back to a goblin cave and if you go clear the cave you know that's a pretty good first session smoke them out you right smoke them out right yeah because they're that's, that's probably tucker's kobolds <laughs> <laughs> not falling for that no spoilers <laughs> all right next question comes from rob i have a player who always seems to enjoy himself but i've been having trouble finding the right bone to throw him to get him really involved we did a Thanksgiving one shot. Hey. Oh, look at this. Timing. Look at this. And it was a wild sheep chase, but rebranded to make the sheep a turkey. That's timing. Great. That is great. <laughs> it's almost like we lined them up this way. Uh, oh, well, it was a couple weeks ago because they're in Canada. Right. And they have a different Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Well, they have different things to be thankful for. I wish I had married into a Canadian family so I could have two Thanksgivings. <laughs> okay. Back uh, to the question. I said, bring whatever. So he made an Aarakocra bard named Eddie. He was a totally different presence at the table. It was great. He later asked me if we could smuggle Eddie into our normal campaign. He continues, of course I said yes. He had found his spirit animal and I wanted that energy at the table. 
He offered to clip his wings, but I figure as we approach level 5, I can't avoid the Z-axis forever, and they'll all be flying soon anyway. Other than stay underground, do you have any high-level heyo, any high-level tips for dealing with this new dimension? I figure it's now okay to hide important plot hooks on high shelves, but I don't know if there are any common pitfalls for a GM who is used to a flat world. Rob, write adventures, okay? The wordplay is exquisite. <laughs> yeah. Um, this went in a different direction than I thought. I didn't know it ended up being like, hey, how about flying? How do we fly? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so this has actually been on our list of topics to cover in the future. So at some point, there's going to be an entire episode on like three-dimensional movement and combat and all that kind of stuff. Um, you're totally right that you shouldn't be afraid of the flying. You shouldn't be afraid of the air coker. I mean, the air coker are already uh, sort of balanced around like not being able to wear heavy armor. Um and I think the most important thing to remember is that it's hard to have cover when you're flying. Mm-hmm. People can see you and longbows are not that expensive and they have a range of 150 feet, I believe, and up to 800 with yep. disadvantage. Yep. <laughs> and uh, the other thing is if you reduce a flying creature's speed to zero, uh, they fall. Yeah. So, you know, any any way that you can remotely restrain them, such as like a giant spider's web attack, murders them, uh, makes them die quite quickly. Yeah. So <laughs> you can add a lot of risk to flying far above the fight um, by occasionally introducing those types of uh, monsters into your counters. You, right. you obviously don't want to do it in every encounter because then it's punishing them for their cool thing. What happened when Brand, who was at the time level nine, was flying over a bit of the Mornland so that he didn't deal have to deal with all of the rubble and uh, dodge all the warforce that were chasing them. Uh, he got shot. <laughs> uh, where? Uh, in the critical spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he got critted by the Lord of Blades. Why? Because uh-huh. the Lord of Blades was within 800 feet of him and everyone had a clear view because he was 50 feet in the air. He was also kind of hot-dogging it. <laughs> <laughs> you actually made that concentration check, else you would have fallen another 50 feet and taken fallen damage. Yeah, I probably would have died. Yeah, you might have. Um, now that's not to say that like you should be trying to kill all of your flying PCs, but you know you may want to make a quick example of them when they're not too high, just to let them know that like it's dangerous up here. The same thing happens when you've got wizards with familiars. Um, you know, of the so many of those familiars fly, and they're really useful for scouting. They usually stay like within a hundred feet because like that's the range of the like seeing through their eyes thing. Um, but you very quickly learn how to deal with like scouts who can fly and creatures that can get around normal obstacles uh and players should very quickly realize that they're very exposed when they're up in the air Uh, also keep in mind that weather has a different effect on people who are flying (laughs) than it does on people who are standing on the ground Uh, so there are spells that can impact this of course but then there are also um you know as you're storm king's thunder or like some some more of the outdoorsy kind of adventures like the weather can just be a problem sometimes hey is it bad to get struck by lightning when you're in the air it's not good yeah it's real not good (laughs) (laughs) it's not good to be struck by lightning when you're on the ground either but uh but yes you can you can do more things where people can think three-dimensionally um they'll be able to get around walls and certain kinds of spells um but yeah like if if I was dealing with Air Crocra, it's sort of the same thing when you deal with like um, Eladrin, who you know can teleport uh, every short rest. Like there are just they build things differently. Um, mm-hmm. 
they they put things in different places uh, they have a, a different outlook so i think you have an opportunity here to present challenges to your party where they need to get a different perspective on things right and now they can actually do that um the other thing as a player um what tends to happen for me when i'm able to fly is i kind of just set my normal cruising altitude at like you know 10 feet so or it's like n- nine feet well, right yeah so i'm not gonna get hurt <laughs> if i fall but i don't have to deal with difficult terrain and that's like the practical implication of it is just like cool i'm not touching the ground at the moment yeah it's why the uh warlocks like uh, at will levitate is really useful and, right. and interesting but like not particularly grain breaking at all you can also get around some of these obstacles by presenting obstacles that the rest of the party can't get around um it's fine if you know, you have one character that can fly over a hundred foot chasm. That's cool. What can? What's the rest of the party going to do? You know, get carried one by one. Mm, the Arcokra, I can guarantee, does not have a high strength. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, maybe the Arcokra flies over and like has a rope and you know the tying and all that. Great. Now the rest of the party needs to like cross that rope is the air cooker hovering below trying to catch them or whatever steadying them bouncing them that's all a great story it's cool that that can happen yeah yeah I, that's actually that's a really good point is like sometimes it's not about feeling like your um your challenges are invalidated it's about giving like setting up chances for the player to just use their cool thing right like it's fine for the player to just win one it's why you take a flying character in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now as a GM, you can craft. Um, you have more options for crafting obstacles because they have more ways to get around them. Right. All right, our last mailbag question comes from Luca. I've been running a campaign for about half a year now, and I'm beginning to feel as if my players are losing interest. We are all edgy, apathetic teenagers, so some stuff is accepted, but whenever I introduce a plot hook or element, it usually gets ignored and swiftly forgotten about. I was okay with this because we had one character who was an extremely driven halfling druid who wanted to get home and liberate her town. I've got a homebrew setting that is currently in the middle of a civil war. The players are totally ignoring. But recently she came to me and wanted to retire her character and make a rogue warlock multiclass with no real ties to the world, which would leave the group pretty aimless. I'm okay with her change, but how do I get my players more involved in in the world without having a dragon appear? I mean, you can have a dragon appear. Yeah, there's that. It's not the the worst thing in the world. Um, You know what? First off, props for having a game that has lasted six months when you are all edgy apathetic teenagers yeah (laughs) it kind of defies the idea that you're all edgy and apathetic yeah i mean okay i just use the word props so you know that i am of course an old person right you are an old yes exactly as an an old you have the perspective (laughs) to appreciate this (laughs) when i was an edgy apathetic teenager in the 90s uh, yeah, we never got past level seven because as soon as uh, anyone learned Baleful Polymorph, they just murdered the rest of the party and we mm-hmm. started over. Always. And I was always like, I should just build someone who can survive that saving throw. And then I realized why well, I'd be the only one left. Right. So <laughs> what would I do? I would murder them all in their sleep with my big sword and then we would start over. <laughs> but I understand the frustration here. You know, you've spent a lot of time building this homebrew world and now you've got people who are like, eh whatever i guess i'm gonna kill some stuff like 
you know, we all have that murder hobo phase and some people don't grow out of it. And some people just like want to go ahead and do it for a while. So I think the first thing to think of is like, would you be okay with running a murder hobo campaign? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason that you can't just string along like random encounters and form some type of loose narrative after that fact. Right. So like after you roll three random encounters, um, what is the common thread that ties them all together? And maybe that catches the curiosity of the party. And if not, they move on to the next spot on the map and find new things that want to fight them. Yeah, I think this is basically how like the uh, named characters in D&D all started, right? Because they were in Gygax's campaign and that was just like loot the dungeon. Right, exactly. That's all they were doing. Like Rary and... Rary and Autoluke and everyone was in Dramage. Yeah, we're just like, I don't know, we kill, we open a door, kill everything in there, uh, take its stuff, we come back and then open the next door because nothing checked to see why their friends were getting murdered. Right. <laughs> but then, I mean, people kind of got, started getting bored with like the level grind and they started wanting more stories. And so they built stories. But if you look at the, if you look at the, quote unquote biographies of all these like high level D&D characters you can see it's like hey I uh, murdered a bunch of monsters uh, until I was level 12 Mm -hmm. and then I started getting into politics right (laughs) (laughs) or in other cases it's just like yeah Jim Ward stopped playing draw mage at level 3 because he survived the dungeon but he still had the character sheet yeah like he was he was good so it could be you being edgy apathetic teenagers that you have not yet gotten the murder hoboing out of your system so maybe just lean into the murder hoboing and in a year or two, people might be like, uh, why were there flumps there? Did they have flump families? Right. Well, their alignment's good, isn't it? I think maybe I feel bad about that. And I mean, not just because you're uh, edgy, apathetic teenagers, but keep in mind, like even us olds still sometimes prefer to just stomp through a dungeon without worrying about the consequences and the story implications. Sometimes it's just good to roll some dice and win some tactics. Yeah, there's a reason why, like, sometimes we're just like, hey, can we play some, like, Dungeon Crawl Classics? Or, like, Jim, can you run Shadows of the Demon Lord? Right. Because, like, let's kill everything because we know it's trying to kill us. Exactly. Like, can we just, like, get the gray out of our, of our like, <laughs> right. our, our morality, please? <laughs> Uh, of course, it is also possible that, like, I don't know, maybe this isn't the group for you. Like, in my experience, at least when I was younger, the people that I played with when I was in high school were, like, the only people that I knew who played. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I didn't I have a car. Like, we met at the comic book shop, and so, like, we played because we were the same age, and, like, we hung out at people's houses, you know? As I got older, I was able to, like, use the internet and, like, go out and meet other groups and, you know, find a group that I actually liked, but... It, maybe this is not a forever thing this group for you and that's fine is this a hashtag it gets better moment uh maybe maybe it does okay well on that note i mean unless you're in the midwest and then it doesn't get better <laughs> on that note we gotta Move get to out the of coast here. where there's D D. at the point we're giving life advice to anonymous teenagers <laughs> we don't know we could be catfish right now <laughs> you're right <laughs> the point we're giving life advice to anonymous catfishers um Anyway, that's going to do it for the mailbag. Um, Thank you, everybody, for sending in your questions. Um, These were definitely not the only questions we got over the past uh, dozen or so weeks. Like, we are moderately okay at responding to email as well. So, fitting transition. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, however, if you didn't like our answers, 
um, that's totally fine. Email us again and we can clarify some more uh, or at us and we will follow up. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? That is the sound of baleful polymorph. Well, then it's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. So the show... Today is brought to you by Genuine Fantasy Press, which is giving away a free version of the new book, The Compendium of Forgotten Secrets, Awakening, at GenuineFantasyPress.com. This is this is the uh, magic colon the gathering construction of titles. <laughs> yes, in that it has a, a colon. colon. <laughs> <laughs> Look, at least he doesn't have more than one colon. Okay. <laughs> which is my pet peeve, because I'm like, that's a database entry, my right. friend. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, The Compendium of Forgotten Secrets Awakening is a book for 5th edition D&D, and all of the player content is included in the free version on their website. Yeah, that's 125 pages of free, which it contains 34 new subclasses, 17 new warlock patrons and familiars. I, I don't know what the breakdown is there. Uh, 175 new spells and invocations, 10 new races, and dozens of campaign hooks. Yeah, this is basically the Bible for warlocks. It's also basically the whole book. Like the book is 190 pages and you get 125 for free. <laughs> yeah. So the it is designed to work with both classic uh, published and homebrew settings. And it gives you new ideas for your world and your game. Yeah, it's got beautiful full color artwork and is available internationally in hardcover on Amazon. I'm not going to say that last thing. The, the copy said. So you can. So again, you can check out the free version of the Compendium of Forgotten Secrets Awakening at GenuineFantasyPress.com. Link in the show notes. At GenuineFantasyPress.com. That's Genuine Fantasy Press, inspiring adventure. You're the best. You're the best. All right. This week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building Friar Tech. I mean, we built Robin, right? Robin Hood. We did. Robin the Hood. Robin Friar the Hood. the Tuck. Is that... <laughs> it's necessary, believe me. <laughs> so this one, uh, in fitting with the mailbag theme of the episode, actually was inspired by that question we read earlier from Rob. Um, the first half of his question was about a non-Wusha monk. Yeah, he actually has a player in his game who is, uh, I think, a like scholar of Renaissance history or medieval history, mm -hmm. uh, medieval religion, actually, it might be, and he really wants to play a monk, but is like, this doesn't really fit with like the theme that I'm looking for, like key points and, you know, and to be 100% fair, like the monk is in there because D&D &D came in the 70s and like Kung Fu is super popular. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Oriental adventures and all that uh -huh. noise. But if you do want to play uh, a monk that uh, I think is more inspired by like a, a boxer or fisticuffs, we've we've done a couple builds like that before. Um, but they were really looking for someone who could basically be kind of like Friar Tuck. And so we have this build. 
which is Drunken Master Monk 12, Battlemaster Fighter 7, Knowledge Cleric 1. So what do we get out of the Drunken Master Monk? I don't know that we've ever used this before. Uh, yeah, we might have been tiny bits. Okay, so we get the normal monk stuff, arm armored, unarmored defense. We get unarmed fighting. Uh, we get faster movement. We get things like deflect missiles. Now, you're going to want to reflavor a bit of this stuff. Deflect missiles, I think of them... Firetruck's a staff fighter, right? So, you know, he does that spin move where he spins the staff really quickly and then, like, you know, three arrows shatter. Yeah. Um, you get things like slow fall. All that is is a simple reflavoring of, like, tumbling when you fall and, like, rolling into the fall, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, stunning strike. You also would be stunned if someone uh, hits you in the head with a quarterstaff. Yeah. It turns out <laughs> imagine that um you get monk goodies like evasion and stillness of mind because of course he is a monk and, and is able to shake off uh, effects that other people might not be able to at level 10 you get purity of body which i like because that i believe is immunity to disease and poison and friar tuck drinks a lot uh-huh I, I don't know if you know that yeah it's kind of like alluded to in the disney version but yeah. like daddy drinks <laughs> and then pretty much in every other version he's he's just soused just yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it mike mcshane in one version i don't know anyway so way of the drunken master uh, i think works really well here you get proficiency in performance and brewer supplies nice which is spot on for our tuck uh, and as a part of your flurry of blows uh you can uh, disengage and your walking speed increases by 10 feet. He's a big guy, but he's very nimble. Uh, and at level 6, you get tipsy sway. Uh, so when you're prone, you can basically kip up by spending 5 feet of movement rather than half your speed. And I love this one, right? When a creature misses you with an attack, you spend a key point and it hits a different creature instead, which is great for when you're in the scrum, which like the merry men are always surrounded by uh, the Sheriff of Nottingham's goons, right? They're all over the place. They're just like these minions that he sends in them all the time. Mm -hmm. And you're always just like in a bar fight. Like Friar Tuck is perfect in a bar fight. At level 11, you get Drunkard's Luck, which is when you make an ability check, an attack roll, or a saving throw, and you've got disadvantage. You spend two key points and cancel out that disadvantage, which is great. Like he can't see <laughs> or he's got disadvantage because he's blind drunk. Right. That's fine. No big deal. I can still punch you in the face. Right. So Battlemaster Fighter 7 will get us a fighting style, which will almost certainly be two-weapon fighting. Uh, you'll also get Second Wind, uh, which gives you some extra HP when you get low. Um, you also get, of course, Action Surge at level 2. And then the reason we come to Battlemaster is, of course, to get those maneuvers. Yeah, Trip Attack works really nice if you're a, a Staff Fighter. Uh, menacing, I think, is great uh, when you are Friar Tuck. Uh, lunging is is great because you know the quarter staff doesn't actually give you reach. Oh, and commander strike. I guess he, you know it's sort of nice for him to be able to yell at Robin Hood and be like, "Shoot that guy!" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Friar Tuck, uh, he gets this rap as like a dumb drunk, like a drunken barbarian, right? But like he's a smart guy. He's he's learned. He he's also very measured in how he approaches these fights. Mm. Like he doesn't really pick fights he can't win. Because he knows his enemy. Yeah, he spent a long time studying the sheriff himself. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he does. He, he goes around town. He's friends with everybody. He knows everybody. Like, that's sort of like the, the trigger for know your enemy is you need to spend a minute with them. Right? And once he does, he can size them up pretty accurately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's always the guy who, like, 
the reason he's always in the bar, one, he does like to drink, but that's where you hear um, the the secrets. That's where you hear the gossip. Mm-hmm. You know, he's always in there with like the hood up, you know? Um, people don't necessarily know that it is Friar Tuck. It's just some random big dude. Uh, and then he ducks out the back and is remarkably much less drunk than he seemed. That's because he spent two key points and so he doesn't have disadvantage. Right. <laughs> he still really is actually drunk. And from Knowledge Cleric, of course, we are going to get those crazy cleric goodies. Uh, first level spells, uh, some healing. You get bless uh, if you want. You've got guidance and resistance. You got spare the dying if you want it. Um, but we're really here because, again, Fractuck is a man of letters. And the thing that sets him apart from a regular pugilist is that he's actually been to school. He knows mm-hmm. how to read. He knows how to write. Um, he's probably copied the Bible dozens of times. You know, like he was a monk and he's out here fighting the good fight now. Uh, but you get expertise into uh, knowledge skills. Mm-hmm. Mm, what? History? History and religion. Religion, probably. Yeah. yeah. So for leveling order, I think probably monk five, cleric one. Battlemaster seven. And then finish up monk. Yeah, yeah, I think that works nicely. So, Ishan, who is your Friar Tuck? Uh, my Friar Tuck is a drunk like was a drunk and decided you know what i need to get my life together join the monastery uh didn't work <laughs> i mean worked for a little while right mm-hmm. good quick learner picked up uh fisticuffs um learned you know the way to inner peace and then decided you know what i don't really need this you know what i do need you know what i do like a good drink a good stiff drink okay uh, I like getting down on the mud. I like to fight with my fists and I like to fight with my stave. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I'm here to do. Uh, and so I'm going to do that and have a great time and, you know, ends up uh, getting much better at the the brawling and the punching aspects. Maybe uh, has an epiphany later and decides that, you know, maybe the as you get older, right, you're like, uh, maybe my punch and fighting days are are coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should drink a little bit less. Got to trim down on the gut. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it's harder to do that belly bounce move, right? <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Which I think is an unarmed attack. <laughs> yeah, the jelly belly. <laughs> is going out right in the wrongs and accepts no payment except for a nicely mixed cocktail. Okay. What about your fryer tuck? Now, Ishan, who would you say uh, is very disciplined of sound mind and body um has faith in a higher power and like is naturally highly competitive uh that albino from that dan brown book (laughs) okay (laughs) paul bettany (laughs) i meant in a more broad category oh oh okay Uh, athletes athletes yes oh right athletes right right they're always pointing up there yeah right i don't i'm not sure what's up there but like the stadium lights, I guess. Um, Paylor. Oh, mm, good point. Um, so yeah, so my uh, my Friar Tuck is actually a, a an athlete, um, not a not necessarily a boxer, but just like a, a general sportsman mm-hmm. um, who, you know, has uh, hung it up, has retired, um, has you know still maintains that um, fervent dedication to routine and discipline and like physical um capability but is now you know kind of more focused on faith and kind of 
you know, a little more team oriented and now trying to do like kind of the second phase of their life, you know, like uh, retired as a professional athlete and doesn't want to sell insurance. So we got to do something. Might as well go adventuring. I'm yeah. already in great shape and a good team player. Door to door sucks. <laughs> <laughs> got to get paid. Yeah, I I appreciate that. No, endorsement money dried up. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like nobody, th- nobody remembers like the retired arena fighters, or uh, you know, arena ball runners. Right. My biggest mistake was surviving. Guild ball. He's a former guild ball player. Oh, I dig there you it. Go. That's All a right. that's a real fantasy sport property. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. <laughs> Before we wrap I up, I played JV guild ball. Oh, okay. Did you? He's a he's a Quidditchman. <laughs> that's right. Four hoops in one game. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're going to have a full, comprehensive, cover-to-cover review of the new setting book, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. Well, that's it for episode 173 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is also brought to you by Elderwood Academy. They are artisans who craft amazing gaming products, including dice towers, dice trays, dice boxes, deck boxes, dice, and more. Nice job. All the products are crafted to look like spellbooks, scroll cases, codices, and other awesome fantasy gear that we love. That's true. That's true, actually. I love scroll cases and codices and spellbooks. Yeah, and we have multiple of their products at our table uh, just every night. We have uh, some people use them to hold their dice, like the little dice trays. Others use them for like a rolling tray. Uh, I am still wanting a scroll roller tray so that I can roll it up real flat and easy to transport, but I do not have one yet. Yeah, if you're listening, instead of paying us for this ad, you could send me a scroll rolling tray. Look, for review. For review purposes. Yeah. 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 Um, you know what I want? Uh, the Elderwood Spell Circle. Have you seen this thing? I, I have not. Tell me all about it. Um, okay, it is a like circular wooden dais. Okay. Right, a few inches tall. Well, that uh, and, was implied in the name Spell Circle, but yes, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Look, it is, well, I mean, the sides are octagonal, perhaps. Okay. Okay. In the center, it's uh, hollow. Okay. Because up from the center rises, completely unsupported, except, of course, by magic, a higher dais oh. on which you can put other things. Okay. Yeah. You have to plug it in, so I'm pretty sure the magic is electricity okay. uh, and magnetism, but it looks pretty. it looks pretty cool, actually. That's pretty sweet. What would you put on it? Um, probably my my drink. <laughs> nice. I probably would put my drink on it, actually. It's just like the... It's so much work for a coaster. Right. And I'm all about that life. <laughs> I'm all about extra. <laughs> all right. So you can find that spell circle and many other products at elderwoodacademy.com. Yeah. Tell them DSPN sent you. Also also us, you should say. Shane Nation sent, sent me. Yeah. Yeah, and they'll be like, who? Yeah. (laughs) No kickbacks. Right.